We've been blessed to have so many first-time guests in our church over the last few weeks. And just want to get this out there in case you don't know this. I'm a big Kentucky basketball fan. <laughs> As a young boy, I grew up idolizing Wildcat legends, playing basketball by myself in a dirt court in the backyard, pretending to be Dan Issel or Kevin Grevy or Jimmy Dan Connor. The only one who recognized his name is John Gorsuch, who probably went and played against some of them through the years. You know, I would dream about beating Tennessee or Indiana on a last-second shot. I remember getting up close to that AM radio trying to listen to K. Wood Lepford call the Kentucky basketball games. Never got to go see them in person. It was too hard to get a ticket at Rep Arena or Memorial Coliseum. As I moved to South Carolina, one of the best things that ever happened to me as a Kentucky fan is when the University of South Carolina joined the SEC. <laughs> that meant that I got to watch Kentucky on TV more, but also some of you have been very generous with some great tickets. I've been able to find myself seated right behind the Kentucky bench a few times. That was a great thing, except when I realized I was on TV and needed to behave myself, so I didn't get... <laughs> tossed out when the coach got tossed out. Now, one year through some local connections, I was able to get in and watch a Kentucky practice, watch a Kentucky shoot around. I was all decked out. You can just imagine how decked I was out in my Kentucky gear, uh, uh, my Coach Calipari shirt, my favorite Kentucky hat. I was the real deal. When out of the blue, oh, no pun intended, uh, Coach Cal walks over to me and asks me if I want to join the shoot around. Now, I was shocked, and, uh, and I freaked out, and I, don't know, I didn't know what to say. I made some excuse about having a sore foot, and I needed to visit the hospital. <laughs> I chickened out and told Coach Cal, no. Isn't that crazy? Now, a couple things about that story. I am a big-time Kentucky basketball fan, but that practice story I made up. <laughs> it didn't happen. But the second thing you need to know this morning is, is that happens all the time. There's a big difference between being a fan and actually playing the game. A fan is defined as an enthusiastic admirer. Jesus wasn't interested in fans or admirers. He called people to deny themselves and to take up their cross and follow him and be disciples. Jesus this morning is calling us out of the stands. He's calling us off the sidelines. He's calling us to go all in and changing the world. And he's not interested in fans or admirers. Now, there's no question that you came to this place today because you have a high sense of appreciation for Jesus Christ. But he wants you to have more than just an appreciation he wants you to be more than just a fan. He wants you to be more than just an admirer. He wants you to be all in as a believer and as a disciple. We gave the definition last week that a disciple is a student of Jesus who is learning from him how to live their whole life under the rule and reign of God. Learning from him how to live their whole life under the rule and reign of God. Someone who doesn't just come and hear the words of Jesus, but puts them into practice. Now, that whole life is 
whole life part is really important. Because being a disciple of Jesus is not just a part of our lives. It's not just an hour on Sunday, a couple hours a week. It involves all of our lives, all of us. During this sermon series, All In, we're talking about what it means to be a disciple at Mount Horeb. What is the pathway of discipleship? And we, we said there's four really key components we want to be able to talk about and understand. The first is who we are, who we are. The second is how we live. The third is who we're with. And the fourth is what we do. Gracious God, I pray that this morning that as we determine who we are and how we live, that we would not just be fans, that we would not just be admirers of Jesus, that when he invites us to get into the game today, he invites us to go all in, that we won't make an excuse, that we won't have somewhere else to be, but we'll say yes I want to go all in. Father God, your spirit move among us today. Speak to us. Guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, last week I preached on who we are. Who we are is all about our identity. And I talked about the identity of Mount Horeb. Who we are as a church. That we do not exist to make more Methodist. We do not exist to make more church members. We're not here to build bigger buildings. Who are we? We are a church that declares Jesus is the son of the living God. And we're passionate about making and maturing and mobilizing disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And if those disciples choose to be Methodists and choose to be members, that's really good. But it's about making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. You see, our identity is defined by our passion. And our passion is about making disciples for Jesus. If we said yes to Jesus, that relationship should define us. It should determine how we handle the rest of the things in life that we love. Now, to be all in is to have a growing understanding and a confidence of who we are in Christ Jesus. This should flow into our lives and and, and, and making the truth of the gospel a reality in our lives. And it's through the rhythms and disciplines that we partake in that determines who we are and how we live. Now, being a disciple is also a matter of who we're with. We'll be covering that in the weeks ahead. But the bottom line is, I want you to hear this, is we cannot do this alone. We cannot become the men and the women, the young people that God wants us to be by ourselves. We are better together. That's why we're committed to plugging people into intentional Christ-centered classes, small groups, Bible studies, into community. We need each other to grow, to become the men and the women, the people that God's calling us to be. But being a disciple is also a matter of what we do. That this is a church where if you're just coming here to be served, you're missing out on what it means to be a disciple. There'll be times whenever you come here to be served and you need to be served, I need to be served. But if all you're doing is coming here to be fed, then you're missing out what it means to be a disciple. 
that we're called to be servants and to make a difference in the world. What we do is really, really important. Now, I believe if we keep doing those four things, answering the question of who we are, how we live, who we're with, and what we do, we'll be making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. But if we're not doing that, we need to shut our doors. This is not a social club. This is not a fun place to go hear some good music, hear an occasional good sermon. This is a place where we get launched into the world to change the world for the glory of God. Now, as you move into this idea of how we live, I, w- I want you to, this is a very important definition I want you to get of discipleship. Because discipleship is not just doing more for God, but living more with God. Sometimes we make this mistake that if I can just do more for God, I'll get it all together. No. It's spending more time with God will then guide you what you need to do for God. If you're doing, trying to do a lot for God, but not spending any time with God, you're going to burn out. And you're going to fade away and you're going to fall away. You see, discipleship is about learning to spend time with God. And because you're spending time with God, you'll begin to do things for God that you never thought was possible. This life that Jesus calls us to, we can't live on our own. We've got to stay connected with him and stay connected with others to stay rooted to the ultimate source of life. If you're going to be the man that God wants you to be, if you're going to be the woman that God wants you to be, you're going to be the young person God wants you to be, we need to learn to follow the example of Jesus. You know, Jesus lived his life from the inside out. From the inside out, we see it right here in this passage this morning. In John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father loved me, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. See, the public life of Jesus, the way he interacted with others was intimately connected to his private life. What you and I do in private will have an impact on our public life. And Jesus' public life was determined by his private life. Everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did flowed out of his inner life, his life connected with his heavenly Father, connected to the love of God. See, the Gospel of John gives us this close connection. We, we get a glimpse of this connection between Jesus the Son and God the Father. In chapter 5 of John's Gospel, we, we find these words, and this is from uh, the message uh, uh, paraphrase. I love, I love how Eugene Peterson captures this. In verse 19 of John chapter 5, he says, So Jesus explained himself at length. That's good stuff there. Jesus explained himself at length. Don't you want to know more about Jesus? Read the Gospel of John. John chapter 5. So Jesus explained himself at length. He says, I'm telling you this straight. The Son can't independently do a thing. Only what he sees the Father doing. Did you get that? We can't do a thing independently of the Father. When it comes to being the man, the woman, the young person that God wants you to be, you can't do it alone. You got to have a connection. You got to have a relationship with the Father. He goes on to say, what the Father does, the Son does. 
The Father loves the Son and includes Him in everything He's doing. Everything He's doing. Everything He's doing. Is God included in everything you're doing? That's what a disciple does. He includes God in everything that he does. That that defines everything that he does by what God is doing. That's a challenge for all of us. Everything Jesus did, the way he lived, how he saw the world, the way he loved other people, was a response to God's love working in him. So think of some of the things that, uh, that Jesus said, that how he fleshed out this relationship with his father. In Matthew chapter 5, he said that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. How many of you have prayed, Father, help so-and-so not show up at the family reunion? Because I don't know what I'm going to say to them. How many of you have prayed for your enemies today? How many of you have cursed your enemies today? You see, the only way that you and I can learn to love our enemies is to have a life full of God's love. Is to spend some time with God so we have a different perspective on our enemies. And Jesus reveals that to us. That's how you do it. You spend some time with God. And God will change the way you see people. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, do not worry about your life. I don't believe that Jesus would tell us to do something that he didn't do himself. That Jesus was free from worry. That Jesus was free from anxiety because of his inner life with God, his Father. A couple weeks ago, I preached a sermon on the storm at the sea, on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples were afraid. They were fearful they were going to drown. And what was Jesus doing? Sleeping. Why could he sleep? Because he knew that his life was in God's hands. That his Father was full of goodness, and his Father was full of generosity. And if God is on your side, what is there to worry about? The answer for our anxiety and the answer for our worry and the answer for our fears is spend more time with God, to be with God, to know his peace and know his power. There have been times over the last couple years that many of you have come alongside me and says, God's got this. <laughs> God's got this. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. God's got this. And I said, yeah, I know. But then I would go worry some more, and you would pray for me. You see, we all have got to work on that where we spend more time with God. At the end of his ministry and facing the cross, all the disciples had deserted him. They had left him. They had gone into hiding. Now, I'm sure that hurt deeply, but it didn't derail Jesus. When he got abandoned, it didn't derail him from his purpose. There's many of us in the room today, when people abandon us, we jump ship. We step out. And there are some that are looking for excuses to step out, just waiting for somebody to say the wrong thing, waiting for someone not to give us their approval, waiting for someone to say, ah, that'll be okay. Don't worry about it. Not Jesus. He faced the truth. And he faced friends who would abandon him. But you see, he was so filled with the love of God, he didn't need other people's approval. He wasn't overly influenced by what they thought of him. He didn't need to prove himself. 
As a result, he was free to give himself away, even death on a cross, because he knew that his father loved him, and that was enough, that God had a purpose for him. Too oftentimes, the church is full of people who are looking for approval, looking for a lifestyle to be sanctioned, instead of willing to let God shape us and mold us into who he wants us to be, and that's enough that God loves us and God has a plan for us. All of this because Jesus lived from the inside out. It was the core of who he was. Now, here's the good news. Hear the good news that that's what Jesus wants for you. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for me. He wants me to have that kind of inner life like he has with the Father. So we got to find a rhythm. How, we, how do we find a rhythm? How do we find that kind of life? In John 15, verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me. Say that with me. Abide in me. Say it again. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Say it with me. Unless you abide in me. Unless you abide in me. Now, that word is used three times there in this one verse. John, in his gospel and his first and second letter, John, uses the word abide 43 times. Must be important. Abide. Now, I want to try to give you a definition of abide this morning. Abide means a call. It means an invitation to a new and deeper personal relationship with God. Jesus is inviting us to have the same life, the same relationship, the same inner life that he had with his Father. It's a call. It's an invitation if you're here today, I want you to know that God wants you to abide with him. He's inviting you to come alongside and be a part of your life. Abide also is a command. If you're a disciple of Jesus, it's not an option. It's a command. Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, you need to abide in me. Abide with me. And it's not just coming to church. It's, 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 a, it's a journey of abiding. Jesus tried to Command his, he commanded his disciples to abide with me, watch and pray. Things are going to get tough. And because you've been abiding, you'll be able to handle the toughness of life. And because they didn't abide, that they, they failed and they, and they made mistakes. Most of our failures in life come from not abiding, not following the command. And the great news, when we answer the call and follow his command and, and we get intentional about remaining with him, staying with him, then there's this, there's this incredible connection we become part of Christ. He becomes a part of us. We're in him and he's in us. It's a connection. And it's also a connection with a lot of other people who are on the same journey, connected, abiding, remaining, staying. But abide always involves a choice. You know, every one of us here today have a choice to make. Abide or not abide. Follow or not follow. It's a choice. It's one, one thing this Methodist believe in is free will. God's going to give you a choice. He's not going to make you abide. Just like you can't make your children abide. You know that, right? <laughs> abide here. Look at me. I'm talking to you, right? They don't abide real well, do they? Neither do we. God wants us to abide, to so spend some time with him so we can do something great for him. 
Now, I don't believe that you and I can abide without help. We need some help. Where does our help come from? I believe the primary help that you and I have to, in order to abide, to find this rhythm, to stay with Jesus is to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We need God's Spirit. Now, again, as good Methodists, we believe in prevenient grace. We believe that all of us have the Spirit of God within us, that it was God's prompting you to, to answer his call. It was God's prompting that brought you here today. It wasn't your idea. You didn't wake up this morning and say, I think I'm going to go to Mount Horeb. It was God kind of saying, whispering in your, in your head, in your heart, in your soul, kind of pushing you a little bit. Hey, this would be a good thing. That's prevenient grace, the grace that goes before. But there comes a time when we must surrender ourselves to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. As Methodists, we call that sanctification and moving on to sanctification, inviting more of God's Spirit to fill us in our hearts and our minds, to give us this union that existed between God the Father and Jesus the Son, to share in the inner life of Jesus, an inner life saturated by the love of God, that comes from the Holy Spirit. I can't conjure that up. You can't conjure that up. It comes from God, that desire. When I, when I call these uh, uh, guests, we call these first-time guests and, 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 and talk to them about coming to Mount Horeb and thanking them for coming, and we ask them, what did you think about Mount Horeb? And most of them always say this, we, we really felt the Spirit of God. Walked in the door and felt the Spirit of God. See, I can't make that happen. You can't make that happen. We can invite that to happen. And God always shows up in our church and in our lives when we receive his power. This morning, will you open your heart and your mind to the power of the Holy Spirit? And, and we'll find the power to remain. We'll, we'll find the power to stay a little longer. We'll find the power to abide so that we then can be with him and go and do things for him. To receive, and then out of that receiving comes the power to remain, to remain in Christ, to abide with Christ, to stay with Christ. You know, we sometimes think that because Jesus was the Son of God, he had this natural, intimate connection with the Father. It just kind of happened. I, I believe that Jesus was fully God and fully divine, but also fully human. And Hebrews chapter 5 says that Jesus had to actually learn obedience, that Jesus was committed to certain disciplines and practices that enabled him to maintain this connection. He was committed to maintaining this connection with his Father. You know, Scripture tells us from the time that Jesus was a little boy, he was a student of the Word. At the age of 12, Jesus surprised the scholars at the temple with his understanding of the scriptures. How'd that happen? You think that uh, God just says, here, Jesus, and, and we'll give you a download, and here's your download, and you, you know all this. No, I don't think so. I think Jesus was committed to being a student of God's word, of studying and reading the Old Testament, become a, obedient in a di discipline of study. It's amazing how, how children are like sponges, are they not? And how if we will read to them the stories of Jesus and the stories of Scripture, they're like sponges, and they just, they just soak it up. 
I love watching our kids come to vacation Bible school here. And after a week of being saturated with the love of God and the love of Jesus, they can just, they can tell you all the verses and sing all the, the words of the songs. And just, you know, they're just, they're just wide open for Jesus because they were students of the word. We know that Jesus, after his baptism and before his preparation for ministry, public ministry, he spent a month and a half praying and fasting. A month and a half praying and fasting, a discipline of getting ready for God to move in powerful ways, knowing that he would come against evil, but he prepared with discipline, with a rhythm of prayer and fasting. Jesus was spending an entire night in solitude and prayer in order to get ready for the crowds. And I know whenever I get out of rhythm with God, I'm not ready for the crowds. I get overwhelmed by the crowds. And Jesus, when he felt overwhelmed by the crowds, whenever the crowds, when his disciples wanted him to do more for God, what did Jesus say? No, I'm not going to do more right now. I'm going to go be with God. I got to go be with the Father. And when I'm with the Father a little while, then I can go do more for the Father. You see, we get it backwards. We think if I can just do more for him, then I'll be better. No, we need to spend more time with him, and then we can go do things for him out of that connection. You know, we want to try to copy Jesus and, 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 and be like Jesus, but we're not willing to do what Jesus did. We're not willing to take the time to pray and to read Scripture and to fast and do those things. We, we're too busy thinking of things to do and trying to change things by our awkward approaches to life when God has the power to change everything. Now, disciplines aren't going to make all of our problems disappear, but they're certainly going to influence the way we respond to our problems. That's why for thousands of years, followers of Jesus have practiced certain disciplines, been committed to those disciplines and rhythms. Now, different people find particular disciplines are more helpful than others. But I want to share with you just a few of those rhythms and disciplines. In order for you to stay connected, in order for you to abide with God, you've got to spend some time in the Scriptures. You've got to spend some time in God's Word in order to, to, to get connected to Him. It's where we listen to the voice of truth instead of all the voices in our head. How many of you have those voices in your head, right? Those voices that tell you all kinds of things that aren't true. How many of you, the first thing you do in the morning, you get up and you open up your iPad or your laptop or you turn the TV on and listen to all those voices out there and they get your day off like what? <laughs> Just like that. Instead, will you begin the day with listening to the voice of truth, opening the scriptures to read God's word, to find out the promises of God, that this world is not going to hell in a handbasket, that God has a plan for this world, and God has a purpose for you, and God wants you to make this world a better place? Would you quit being so negative? And would some of you quit sending me some of those emails <laughs> that are all about the demise of the world? And let's spend some time. You know what I, you know what I love to send people? I love, when people are in trouble, I send them scripture. I send them emails about God's Word. I want to encourage them to look up and look up. Look up. God has a word for you. God has a hope for you. God has a plan for you and your life. Scripture. To remind us who we are, how this world really works, and what is true. And who's in charge? Who's in charge? Scripture will tell you who's in charge. And I want to be on the team with the one who's in charge. Amen? God is in charge. 
Prayer is a discipline where we place our dependence upon God. And there are things that only happen through prayer. Do you agree with that? There are things that only happen through prayer. It's when God's people get on their knees, things happen. Now, sometimes they happen immediately, and sometimes they happen over time, but things happen when we pray. I'm amazed still at the people who call me pastors and churches, and I had a call this week. You know, how do you all doing all you're doing over there? You know, it's, it's a, what are you what are all doing? I say, well, we pray a lot. Yeah, well, what else you got? You know? Well, we, we, we spend a lot of time praying. We really are serious about that. I know, but yeah, but, but when do you meet? And, you know, who makes the decisions? And how do you raise all that money to do all that stuff? I said, we pray a lot. You know, and people don't want to, they don't want that. They want a quick answer. And Jesus said, I got to go spend some time with the Father. And when I spend some time with the Father, I'll get back with you. <laughs> and I'll have, I'll have a pretty good idea of what we should do. The... John Wesley said it this way, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. Amen? God does nothing but an answer to prayer. And then there's a discipline of Sabbath. You've come here today to experience Sabbath. And Sabbath isn't about checking out. It isn't about being lazy. It isn't about coming here to church and checking, see what time it is, how much longer I got. You know, Sabbath is about enjoying the goodness of creation. Sabbath is about enjoying the presence of God. It's about connecting with God and rejuvenating your soul. I've got to confess to you that this is not my Sabbath. I'm still catching my breath from an uh, 8 o'clock service, a 9 o'clock service, a coffee with a pastor, and now this service. And then I get to go do a wonderful new member class at 3 o'clock and a baptism class at 5 o'clock. So maybe tomorrow, <laughs> on Monday, don't call me, okay? I'm going to be taking some Sabbath. 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 How about that? I'm going to take a sabbatical, but anyway, but one day I'm going to take a sabbatical, but, but a Sabbath. It's a time when we enjoy God's creation, enjoy God's goodness, and we just got to breathe it all in, and we rest. We say, thank you, God. Let me just say to you, Sabbath people on Sunday, I get asked this question from time to time. You know, I never forget I said this in Conway one time, and I said, I said you know, if you, come, if you come to church on Sunday, and experience the goodness of God and worship him, it's okay to fish Sunday afternoon. I had a mom just bless me out. <laughs> I've been telling my son for years he can't fish on Sunday, and now you told him it's okay. You know, just enjoy the goodness of God. Enjoy the creation of God. You know, be on the lake with your family. You know, get away and do some stuff. You know, just enjoy God's goodness. God wants you to recharge the batteries. God needs us to do that. That's a discipline. Making time for God's goodness and God's creation and enjoy it. There's other great disciplines, fasting, solitude, meditation. There's a discipline of stewardship and service. Honoring God with the first and the best we have to offer takes discipline. It takes discipline for some people to put God first. It takes discipline for all of us to put God first, making him the priority of everything in our lives. And I believe if we will receive and remain, then radical things will happen Radical things will happen. We'll start having all this fruit going in our life. We begin to change. And then we begin to change the world through God's presence in our life. Rhythms, disciplines are very, very important. I want you to know this in closing, that fruitfulness is a promise and a provision from God. 
that fruitfulness is a promise, that Jesus actually believes this can happen in your life. This can happen in your life. You can have this inner relationship with God the Father that he had with God the Father, that you can have a life mission of abundance for God. I believe that, and God believes that, and Jesus believes that, and he says that you're to go and be a fruitful people. You're to go and make a difference in the world if you abide, if you dwell, if you remain, if you stay, you will bear much fruit. I think one of the reasons that we don't experience the abundance of God, the fullness of God, the fruitfulness of God, because we don't believe we're worthy. I'm a sinner. I'm broke. I'm messed up. I've made so many mistakes. I'm not worthy. It's not what God says. God says he washes you clean, makes you new, a new person, a new creation, and he wants to fill your life with his power so you can go change the world. So let me give you some things that happen when you're fruitful very quickly. Is, first one is character. I think, I think fruitfulness changes your character, changes who you are. I love Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I've never read this from the message before this week. I don't think I have, but I, I really resonated with me. Put, put it up there. This is from the message. Talk about a loaded question. But what happens when we live God's way? What happens? Are you willing to give that a try? Try to live in God's way instead of your way. God's agenda instead of your agenda. There's some people that come into church with their own agenda. What is how church should be? Well, God may have a different agenda for you. God may have a different way. Are you open to that? I love it. He says, what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives. Much the same way fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others. <laughs> That's a good thing in church, isn't it? We like each other here. Affections for others, even those enemies. Exuberance about life. Some of us need to get more exuberant. Some of us are kind of like, oh, you know, need some, need some joy. Need some exuberance about life. Serenity. We, de we, we develop a willingness to stick with things. A sense of compassion in the heart. A conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. Isn't that great? That there's a holiness about people. Even those enemies have some of the goodness of God in them. Holiness permeates people and things. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life. Say that with me. Not needing to force our way in life. That's, a, that's fruitfulness. That comes from God. Because all of us like to force our way to the front of the line. I want to have my way or the highway. No, when you have the fruit of the Spirit, you say, God, what, what do you want me to do? What, what are you trying to do here? And, and able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. I need that one. Energies wisely. Character. And out of character comes this character, this fruit, is the ability to conquer those sins and habits that easily beset us. There are some of us here today that are being worn out by things that keep beating us up. Well, fruitfulness, abiding, staying, remaining will make you a conqueror. You'll begin to conquer those things with God's help. And then you'll begin to catch. We'll begin to be the fishers of men that I preached about two weeks ago. Jesus said to Peter, you'll go and fish for men. Because you see, when people see that kind of fruit on us, when they see serenity on our face, when they see us sticking to things, when they see us being compassionate with people and loving people and not being a bully and not having to get our way, they say, you know, I want some of that. How do you handle all these problems you got in your life? You seem to just... Just trust God. How do you do that? It's because I, I spent some time with God. 
And when I spend time with God, it, it changes how I respond to situations. Well, how do you do that? Well, you just go make some time with him. And, you, and you, then you share the plan of salvation with someone. You see, people want to know how that happens in your life when you start being fruitful. And then we will change the world. We'll change inside and we'll change the world. You know, I said it's, fruitfulness is a, is a promise, but it's also a provision. You know, you and I can't produce this in our life. This is what I read to you out of Galatians 5. We can't produce fruit. But if we'll press into God, he'll press into us. And we'll become fruitful people. You can't be more peaceful. You can't be more joyful. But God can make you more joyful. You'll press into him. He'll press into you. You abide with him. He'll abide with you. He'll change your life. You can change the world. You know, I grew up in that dirt basketball court in my backyard uh, beside an apple tree. There were three apple trees in my yard. I never once heard an apple tree trying to grow an apple. Not once. You ever heard an apple tree trying to grow an apple? You ever heard that? I haven't heard that. You know? But an apple tree, when its nutrients, its roots are remaining in the ground, staying in the ground, when it's drawing its nourishment from the ground, from the soil, from the water, it's going to produce fruit all by itself. And you and I, if we'll stay, if we'll remain, abide, we're going to produce this fruit in our lives. You know, one of the, 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 the two scariest things that have ever happened in my life you know, it wasn't building a $16 million building. That was a little scary, but it wasn't the scariest thing. It wasn't becoming a pastor, becoming ordained. The scariest thing that happened in my life was whenever I spoke three words to my wife, three words that said, I love you. Because I'd never said those words before in my life. I'd never said to anyone, I love you. I'd never heard that spoken to me before until I spoke those words to Lynn. It just didn't happen to my family. We didn't say those words, but I knew they were important. I was scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was praying that something good would happen. And I said, I love you. And Lynn said back to me, I love you. Oh, that was good. I said it again. She said it again. I said it again. It's great. Yeah. It's great. You know, it's, this is good. But then as we went on a little further, I knew there was going to come a time I'd have to ask her, to marry me, not have to, get to ask her to marry me. <laughs> I wanted to ask her to marry me really bad, trust me. But I was scared. Why was I scared? Because I had only known, um, seen, witnessed failure in marriage. My parents had not been, stayed, didn't stay married. Um, I, I saw brokenness and failure, and, and I was scared. I didn't want to mess up. And then I heard the Holy Spirit speak these words into my heart. Stay with me. Stay with me. Remain with me. Abide with me. And you can do this. We can do this together. Okay, God. And I prayed, and I said, Lynn, will you marry me? And thank goodness she said yes. And for the last 39 years, God's been faithful. He's kept every word he said, he said to me 39, 40 years ago. He's kept, he's kept his word. And as long as I stayed with him, he stayed right there with me. Amen? And, you know, I'm way outkicked my coverage. But God was good, and God is good. And there are things right now that you're afraid of that God's wanting to whisper to you, stay with me. Stay with me, remain with me, and you can do this. Meet with me, and you can do this.
You'll get through this if you stay with me. But we get busy and we don't make our appointments with God. And we start to fade and we start to complain and we fall away. Jesus is not looking for fans. He's not looking for admirers. He's looking for people who will stay and remain and go and change the world. Gracious God, I thank you for this time together and these wonderful people gathered here. Lord God, you called them here. You've invited them here. And you're inviting them to abide with you, to stay with you, to remain with you. And Father God, I pray that you would be with that person that feels so damaged and so tarnished that they can't come to you. But Lord God, you're calling them. You're inviting them to bring their life to you, to bring their mistakes to you, to bring their failures to you, and you want to clean them up and straighten them up right now. You want to remain with them. You want to, you want to touch them in the very inner part of their soul. Father God, just move in that person's heart right now. And Father God, for that relationship that's split apart right now, that's struggling, I, I pray that they would invite you into that relationship and that you would stay with them and remain with them and you would say to them, we can do this. We can fix this. We can move forward with your help. Lord God, you know the situations here today. And I pray that right now all of us will be open to the power of your Holy Spirit. That your Holy Spirit would fall upon this place and fill us with your power to remain and stay so that we can then go and do things for you that we never thought possible. Incredible, radical things that change the world. I ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen.